Today we jump into a fun series called Relationship Goals. Relationship Goals. Relationship goals, uh, for those of you guys who have no idea what that means, is an expression that the younger generation uses. Uh, when they see something in a relationship that they themselves want to emulate in their own relationship, often they see it as the hashtag relationship goals. Like, for instance, you're at the grocery store and uh, you just rushed into the car because it's raining and you made your wife go around the side, it's raining, and you look across the way and you see a gentleman open up the door for their lady in the pouring rain and shut the door and then run around, right? Relationship goals, all the women said, right? That's what, that's what I want in my relationship. Why doesn't my man ever get my door? Relationship goals. Or, or maybe you're sitting at a restaurant and you're just kind of on your phone, and you have nothing, you have nothing, you have, you have no idea what to talk about with your, with your spouse, and you look across the way, and you just see a married couple just cutting it up, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, just laughing, having a good old time, like doing role-playing or something, you know, like they're just like, you ever see, I, this is my relationship goals, when I see a couple that are pretending to know what another couple is saying, you know, and they're like playing it out, like what are they actually talking about, and they're making up a story, you know, relationship goals, here's a good one I saw online, okay. I was uh, doom scrolling on social media, and I saw this one, and I thought this would be perfect. It was a couple, an older couple, that were at a Walgreens, okay? An older couple at Walgreens, and the heading was hashtag relationship goals, and here's how it went down. This couple was at the uh, card section. Obviously, they were looking at Valentine's Day cards. They were shopping for them, and they each took a Valentine's Day card, looked at it, exchanged it with their, the, each other, read it, looked at it, hugged each other, put it back, and walked out. <laughs> Now, you can't tell me that's not relationship goals right there. So relationship goals. We see something in a couple, and we want to emulate that in our own life and in our own relationships. So I hope to share some things with you in this series that, would, that you yourself would want to emulate in your own relationships. You know, this series, just to say it out the gate, is not only for the married folk, okay? This is also for those who are dating, who are single, but, but it, I, I really think it's relevant for those that have important relationships. There's some truths in this series that you can apply to the important relationships of your life. And what I want you to see in this series is that there is a, there's a way of doing relationships the world's way, and then there's a way of doing relationships God's way. There's, it's a dichotomy. It's two opposing thoughts on how to do relationships. I want to show it to you in our theme verse for the series. It's this, Romans 12. We'll start in verse 2 here. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. We'll start right there. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. You see, if you haven't noticed yet, the world has a way that they encourage you to have relationships, a way that they want you to follow. But then the Bible comes around and says, I have a way too, and I was here first. It is a better way. And if there's ever an area in your life that you should refute on the world's way of doing things, it's in the area of relationships. If there's ever an area that you should refuse completely, it is the area of relationships. Because social media, Hollywood culture, they all are broadcasting to us a way of doing relationships. Did you know, I found the statistic, in TV alone, not movies, we're just talking about TV, the way that TV broadcasts Sexual encounters, think about this, it's not that message, calm down, okay, that'll be another one, but the way that TV broadcasts to have sexual encounters, 91% of TV sexual encounters happen outside of the marriage, 91%.
culture is teaching us how to have sexual encounters, and they're saying it's best done outside of the marriage. The problem with this is that it's not only unbiblical, but it's also problematic for you. It won't help you. This is one of the points that I hope to make in this series, that God is not trying to take away your fun. And I hear this a lot as a pastor, but God's not trying to steal your fun. He's not trying to take away your joy. Instead, he knows the world's way will hurt you, and he's trying to avoid you from getting hurt. He's trying to prevent some hurt that's happening in your life. But yet we say, God, you just don't know. You're the killjoy God. You want to take away my fun? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the world's way, and I'm going to show you I'm going to have fun. But God's saying, listen, it's not about that. I'm trying to protect you because it's going to hurt you. The verse goes on, but let God transform you into a new person. You see, there is another way of doing relationships than the world. It's God's way. And here's the problem. You won't want to do it God's way until you're transformed. It won't be appealing to you. It won't be of any interest to you until there's a transformation in your life that takes place. You see, you never want to be changed until you are changed. And it is then that you finally see that change is much better for your life. But before the change, you don't really want to be changed. You see, transformed, God's wanting to transform you. It's not God asking you to do something and you doing it. That's not what transformation is. Transformation is when God changes you so that you can do it. God's not following you around saying, whoa, 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 stop that, stop that. Don't, don't do that, don't do that. That wouldn't be good for you. Don't do that, stop. No, 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 no. He's not this like, like dad walking around the toddler and just, you know, no, 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 stop. Whoa, 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 don't touch that, you know. That's not how God operates. Instead, he's pursuing you. He's interested in you. He's chasing after you. He's drawing you closer to him so that there will be a transformation that takes place. And then you won't have to be told what to do and what not to do. Instead, you're transformed now, and you want to do the things of God. You want to do it God's way. This is why God is a God not to be understood, but instead to be experienced. But yet we want to put God in our box. I got to figure you out before I do it your way. God's not got to be understood. Stop trying to figure him out. Instead, lean into him, experience him. And when you experience him, everything changes for the better, I promise you. So the verse goes on. But let God transform you into a new person. Here's the last part of this part. By by changing the way that you think. And this is where I believe I come into play as your pastor. I can't transform you. That's God's job. But each week, I can bring tools to help you change the way that you think so that you would be open to God's transformation in your life. This is what I want to do today and through this series. I want to help us to think about relationships differently. Because the world shoves one viewpoint in your face, I'm going to help us to think about it God's way. And once you change the way that you think and you experience transformation, here's the final part of the verse, then you will learn to know God's will for you because his ways are so much higher than our ways. His will for you. It's not to take away your fun. It's not to take away your joy. It's to give you good and pleasing and perfect life. This is what he wants for you. God wants your relationships to be good, pleasing, and perfect. God wants your marriage to be good, pleasing, and perfect. God wants everything that you are a part of to be good, pleasing, and perfect. That's God's way. So to set this message up, I just want to take a look at that verse we just read 
and put it into the, the way that we are taught relationships opposed to God's way of relationships in our culture today, okay? So let me show you this. So first, I just want to look at relationships the world's way, okay? Relationships the world's way. This is what we have been taught. This is what's been ingrained in us. Here's the first thing that the world will tell us. You got to find the right person. You got to find the right person. It, it, is, it is in us, we are taught this at a very young age, that there is the one out there, this, this mysterious, methodical one, just the one of my life, the one that you dream of. There's just that one. I wonder what they're doing right now, you know? I wonder if they're thinking about me right now. Just that one, the, the one, the one that completes me, you know? The one, you are incomplete until you find the one, right? The, the, the world is telling us you got to find the right person. And heaven forbid you find the wrong person. <laughs> no wonder your kids are so mess, messed up because you married the wrong person. You didn't find the right person. There's only one of those out there and you missed it. <laughs> you missed it. And that's why your life is so messed up because you didn't find the right person. So the world tells us you got to find the right person. Here's the second thing. Once you find the right person, man, you fall in love. You fall in love. As if to say you can't help it. <laughs> Because usually when I fall, it's by accident. I don't fall on purpose. Like you stumbled into it. Like you were just, you were minding your own business and you made eye contact and then you just fell in love, you know? Like it was on accident. It was not on purpose. It should have happened. But here we are. We're in love now. We fell in love. I found the right person. I've fallen in love. And now this is where we go seriously wrong. We've put everything, our hopes and our dreams on that one person. You shouldn't have made eye contact, you know. You shouldn't have fell at all because now my problems are your problems. I'm putting all of my hopes and my dreams and my desires on you, and I sure hope you don't mess it up. <laughs> don't drop it. Don't mess this thing up. And if we do, this is a recipe for failure because here's the fourth part. If failure occurs, rinse and repeat steps one, two, and three. This is what the world teaches us. If it doesn't go well, it's okay. Just start over and follow the steps again as if it's going to work a second time. You know, I think the world's way has ruined us and has ruined how we see covenant relationships. We have been taught to jump into the dating scene, get out there and experience the world. And essentially, what the world teaches us is this. How you date is you practice married things without commitment. That's how you date. You practice married things without any sort of commitment because you always want that option four to rinse and repeat. Whenever you get tired of that person, you'll find someone else because you can. You're not locked down. You're not committed. You can do whatever you want. Just know you can always start over. The problem is this is not a practice for a lifelong love. This is a practice for divorce. This is how you practice divorce by following the world's way of relationships. Because you have rinsed and repeated so many times, you've been experiencing the dating scene, you just, this is the habit you got into. When you actually get married, it's just the common instinct to leave when times get tough. Because you did it during dating, what's so different about marriage? It's a huge problem in our culture, and not only is it unbiblical, it's dangerous because it will hurt you, and I promise you it will hurt your kids if you have them. That's the world's way. Let's take a look at God's way. This is God's model for a biblical relationship. Check this out. Here's the first thing. 
you're going to become the right person first. You're not waiting on the right person anymore. Instead, you're allowing God to transform you first so that you now, being transformed, can bring something into the relationship opposed to waiting and making them bring something into your relationship. I'm going to do my work on this. I'm not going to wait on the right person. I'm going to become the right person. And now, instead of falling in love, this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk in love. It's not accidental anymore. You see, love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Love is not what you feel. Love is what you do. It's a decision you make. The book of Colossians actually tells us to put on love. You don't, you don't fall into it. You don't, it doesn't fall on you by accident. Instead, you put love on and you make a decision to choose to walk in love. This is an act of our will, not an act of our feelings. You know, I don't know about you, but I do not willfully choose to love people all the time. (laughs) I'm not talking about the people that I don't like. (laughs) It's easy not to love those people, but let's talk about the people that you do like, the people that you love the most in this world. Do you willfully choose to love them 24-7? Probably not. Yes, you love them. We get that. But you probably don't like them all the time. Why? Because we get angry. We get fed up. We get frustrated. We get discouraged. We get mad at them. This is why we can't allow our emotions to lead us. We must make it a choice, and we must walk in love. And next, this is a big one. This is where we went wrong, I think, in the first part, in the world's way. Instead of putting our hopes and fears on each other, we put them on God. We put, we put everything on God. This is what he is here for. This is what he was built for. This is, this is God's role that he wants to play in your life. And then once you do all that, here's the last part. A failure does occur. Rinse and repeat. Steps one, two, three. Start over. Don't abandon the God's process and God's plan if something went wrong in your relationship. Start over there. Maybe you have become someone different. And God says, okay, that one didn't work out, but we're going to start here. Become the right person. Work on yourself first. And so many times we often just start getting back out there, finding the right person again. No, no, no. We're not, we're not going to choose to, if we are in a relationship that didn't last, we're not going to immediately jump into it and find that right person again. You're going to bring a lot of baggage and junk into that relationship. We're going to stop. We're going to do it God's way. We're going to become the right person. I believe we have a commitment problem, not a comprehension problem. Because we get all this. We've seen it in our friends. You try to encourage people that you know to not go through this. And chances are, if you're single, you're convicted by this. But the question is, why do we still do it the world's way and expect it to work for us? I would argue we don't have a comprehension problem. We have a commitment problem. If we expect any of our relationships in our life to flourish, to thrive, we must come back to the way that God set this thing up, the way that God views relationships. Let me say it this way. Most marriages fail due to a lack of commitment. We have a commitment problem. And I hate to break this to you, but no matter how good you are, how much you love God, it is inevitable that there will be tough days in your marriage. There will be some rough spots in your marriage. That's just a fact. 
It happens for my wife and I. It happens for, for many people. But it blows my mind because when couples experience rough patches in the relationship, they then see their relationship as disposable. I'll just, I'll just get rid of this one and I'll start another one, as if to say that relationships don't have any hard times in them. In the moment that you encounter some hard times, you're ready to rinse and repeat and start back over. Relationships are not disposable. And again, I think we have a commitment problem. We live in a contractional world today. When the Bible was built on covenant, not contract. Meaning this, in a marriage contract, if things don't pan out the way that you hoped, you can always get out of it. It's a contract. How many of y'all have ever been in a contract that, that could not have been broken in business? I mean, I talked to a lawyer between services, and he's like, I love that you pointed this out, because any contract, any contract coming from a lawyer can be broken. <laughs> That's the way that the business is, is built and the world is built, that contracts can be broken. There's ways to get out of a contract. I don't think the way, that's the way it was supposed to be, but that's the world that we live in. But in marriage, we're not in a marriage contract. We're in a marriage covenant. No matter what you do, this is permanent, and I'm not going anywhere. Covenant says, even if you don't fulfill your end of the deal, I have made a covenant. I am fulfilling my end of the deal. I believe this is how we're supposed to view relationships with each other as God views his relationship with us. You want to see God's commitment to you? How God views his commitment and relationship to you, it's this, Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm sure you've done some things that were worth leaving over. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God says there's nothing that you could ever do that would cause me to want to, to leave this relationship. God wants to bring us to that place that we can look at our spouse and say, no matter what happens, I'm never gonna leave you. I really don't think our relationships can ever become what God intended them to be if we don't have this in us. You know, many relationships that I see begin in this place where if it doesn't work out, I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work out, then I always have a plan B. I know I can always go this route instead. This is an attitude that will never work in marriages, to have and begin a relationship with a backup plan. Now, it just reminds me, talking about a backup plan, when we started this church, we didn't have a backup plan. It was a huge commitment my wife and my family are all from Dallas. I'm born and raised in Dallas. All my friends in Dallas, all my family in Dallas, all my ministry experience in Dallas, it would have been much smarter to start a church in Dallas. But I couldn't. You know why? Because God spoke to me. I had a word from the Lord to come to this place, to this city, and start this church. And I couldn't get away from it. It would have been much easier to start a church in Dallas, I promise you. But words from the Lord really can mess you up. <laughs> and it did for me because we sold everything. We cashed in our retirement. We left our family. We left our friends. We moved here and didn't know but two families we came with. And we started this church. And now I look back and go, God, thank you for speaking that to me. I mean, today I heard we have like triple overflow. People are outside today. I mean, yes, we are building a bit. We're getting there, okay? Like, so I know the Lord's doing something. 
I, and I, I'm confident in that. And, and I, the Lord spoke it to me. Regardless of what you guys do, I had to do it. Like, I talked to church planners today who, who don't make it, who fail. And, and I am blown away by when I talk to them, they always, there's a common theme that usually comes up. They always had a backup plan. As soon as it got tough, they went to their backup plan because they had one. I promise you, this will not work out in relationships because if you have a backup plan, you're probably going to use it because times will get tough and you're going to go, well, I could always do this instead. I got to say, this message is probably the hardest out of the series. It's the hardest one to endure, commitment, because we've been trained by society to look at relationships the world's way. And we have to break that. We have to allow God to transform us and start thinking of relationships God's way. I love how the book of Malachi puts it. Malachi 2, 13 through 16 start out, starts in verse 13, says this. You flood the Lord's altar with your tears. You're crying. You're upset. Things are not going your way. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings. You, you keep bringing things to God. You feel like he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't accept them with pleasures from your hands. You ask, why? Why, God? Why, why don't you answer my prayers? Why are things going awry in my life? Why, are, why is nothing working out? I've, I've done everything that I can. Why is this happening to me? So you just kind of come to God and say, God, I've tried everything. Why is this not working? Well, it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, could it be that things are not going well for you, not because that God doesn't love you or he's not for you, but instead because you've been unfaithful? Maybe you've been un unfaithful and it may... It, it may be someone, but it also may be something. And your, the, the, the love of your youth, as the Bible puts it, is not the first priority anymore in your life. Your love, your devotion, your, your care has gone elsewhere off of your spouse. He or has not the one God made you. You belong to him in body and in spirit. And what does the one God seek? Could you just think about this. What if the point of your marriage is godly offspring? You know, I'm convinced that God is just as concerned about your kids as he is your marriage. And as plainly and as bluntly as I can put this, for those that are contemplating divorce today, you have no idea the impact this will make on your kids. People, I hear it all the time, they'll get over it. They will be fine. They won't be. I spoke to someone during, between services, and she said, I'm really glad you said it. I'm 50, and I'm still struggling with that. But too often, I'm going to rinse and repeat. I'm focused on myself, and my kids will be a casualty of this divorce. So... Be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel. Meaning this, this might be the point for today. Meaning this, you don't even need commitment until there is a moment that arises where you don't want to be committed anymore. I mean, if, if times were always great, why would you need a commitment? 
Commitment is only necessary when you don't want to be committed anymore. So, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. This is, this is a sad part of this verse right here. Because it's saying this, on your spouse's worst day, on the day that your spouse made a mistake, you stood at the altar and said, for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, sickness and in health, and on your, your spouse's worst day, you abandon your commitment to your spouse. The Bible actually says this is evil. The Bible considers this violence. How strong of language do you need to commit to someone? And when they make a mistake and they needed you on their worst day, you are not there for them any longer. That's evil. The world will say, get them back. You shouldn't stay with them anymore. They did what? Leave them. The Bible says, no, 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 you committed to them. You stay in this. And if you don't, you're evil. It's violence against them. And it ends with this. Well, let me say this first. I, I see that as I counsel with people, many people view their relationships in their marriage having contingencies. As if to say, I'm going to marry you here on this altar, but if times ever get tough, if you ever do anything to upset me, if you ever do this, if you ever do that, I'm going to leave you. Well, a marriage cannot be built with contingencies. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful. Now, I want to say right here that I'm not saying you should stay in an abusive relationship or an unfaithful one. I'm going to leave that to you and to the Lord. But I am, I am saying in your hearts, you need to be unwilling to be unhappy for a while while you work things out and you fight for your marriage. It's not all going to be roses and rainbows. There's going to be times you're going to have to fight. You're going to stay in the fight. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward, but you're committing to one another. Here's a great quote that I found. You'll appreciate this. It says this, commitment means staying loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in has left you. That's where we're going today. I just have one goal for you today, and that is to have you think about your commitments Think about your relationships, to remake them today, to reaffirm them today. Every relationship that's important to you, I'm asking for you to re-up on your commitments today. So, it's the longest intro I have, and I have a short message. I have 10 minutes left. I'm going to do it. But here's the message titled, Commitment Goals, okay? We're talking about commitment goals today. First service laugh, made fun of me, laughed out loud. I don't care. Commitment goals, all right? That's where we're going today, and I hope you are getting the burden for this you got to have commitment in your life towards your marriage. So let me ask you this question just because we're halfway through here. How many of you are married? How many of you are happily married? I was just kidding. I just threw that out there, but thank you for raising your hands. That's good. I think we had a majority, so I think that's good, right? How many of you are dating in here? How many of you are dating? Oh, can we just look around and say, oh, just oh, so, so cute. Okay, how many of y'all are single? What's up? What's up? Loud and proud. Take a look. Take a look, you know. How many of y'all are single ready to mingle? Come on. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. I like the kids in the back. They're like, what's up? You know, 13, I can't drive, but you know, my mom's got some money. I got you. I love it. 
Okay, here's, here's a question I don't want you to answer. How many of y'all struggle with commitment? <laughs> yeah, a couple of hands. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> well, I hope to help you with this today. Now, when I talk to someone about their marriage and they're ready to give up, I always hear this. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what they have done. There's no way that we can move forward from this. I hear it all the time, which I would always look at them and say, you are right. You can't move forward from this, but let me give you a verse to help you. Philippians 4.13, also known as Tim Tebow Tebow 4.13, Tim Tim Tebow, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thank you. Thank you, Tim Tebow. All right. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You're right. You can't. But I can. I want you to leave this first step. I want to look at this for a second. I can. I can. You can. I'm going to look at you today. You can't do it anymore? You can do it today. You can keep moving forward. You can do it. You can make it. There is a way forward. You can do it. Do what? You can do all things. You can do anything, even the hard things in life. You can do those too. You can, you can make it through a struggling marriage. You can do all things. How? Through Christ. There's not one thing that you can't do when you do that thing through the power of Christ. There's not one thing that you can't do. Why? Because it's no longer you and your own willpower. It's now God's power, and that's what's going to get you through it. So we started out talking about Romans 12 too. We just read Philippians 4.13. Here's the common theme that I'm seeing for today. He wants to do a transforming work on the inside of you so that you can do things that you never dreamed that you could do. He wants to transform you so you can do the hard things. So what does he do? He doesn't just tell you that. He models it for you. Jesus went to the cross. He paid for your sins on the cross. The most extravagant display of commitment. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to empower you to do the very same. To love and commit yourselves to one another. Just as he did to us. So here's how I want to close this message. I want to give you five commitments real quickly. Five commitments that God has given you. Okay? But, but as I read these, I don't want you to do them. I want you to realize them. I want you to experience them. I want them to sink into you, okay? This is the commitment that God has made to you, and I hope this helps you in your commitments. Here's the first one. God, he commits to prioritize you. You are a priority to God. Now, when you look at relationships, this is one of those that usually we fail in first. It's, it's this area that we struggle in, the area of prioritization. If I were to ask your spouse, which one comes first, you or football, it's football season, I'm going to go there. What would they say? If I was to say, which one comes first, you are shopping, you are Amazon, which one comes first? Sometimes we get our priorities out of whack and we're called to be like Jesus and Jesus prioritized us. I know at times in my own relationship, I allow things to come in between my relationship with me and my wife. I, allow, I put things first before my wife at times. And that's where I fail. Just recently, this bubbled to the surface. And I don't know about you, but if you haven't realized, most issues in your marriage usually will bubble to the surface at one point or another. 
Well, I had an issue that bubbled to the surface in my own relationship with my wife, and it's not her fault. She's an angel. It's totally all on me. But here's the deal. I work from home. Anybody else work from home? A lot of us work from home. I cannot and could not, I feel like I'm better at it now, but this, I struggle with this. I could not figure out how to work from home. My home is my work. My work is my home. When do I stop working and be home? Am I home or am I working? It's just, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. And I struggled with this until my wife gently corrected me and lovingly, right, corrected me and my behavior and, and said, we have to have some boundaries, we got to figure out when you're working, when you're home. And, and we, we, we've done this before in our life, and for some reason, we haven't been doing a good job of it recently, but we brought it back into play, and that is the biblical model of Sabbath. Now, just so you know, the next series we go into, we're going to talk about Sabbath. We're going to talk about rest and hurry. We're going to talk about those things. I'm very excited about it. But I realized I needed to make a change in my own relationships with my wife and my kids and so we started to have Sabbath on Fridays. And just so I wouldn't mess it up, we named it Family Fridays. <laughs> Is it work Friday? No, it's Family Fridays, okay? So I needed help in that area, and my family helped me. And this is what God does. He, just think about this. God prioritizes you. Let me show it to you. John, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how Jesus showed his love for us. He didn't just tell us. He showed us. Look at this verse, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love, his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Tell me that's not a great marriage verse. While we are messing up, making mistakes, being doofuses, that's a word, they still love us. I, I, that verse blows my mind because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinning against him, and he committed himself to us still. So one thing I want to do on these, these five points is say this. I want you just to let this sink in. He did, so I can. Okay, he did so I can. He did so I can commit to prioritize my wife, Allie. What is the blank for you? He did so I can. We're following his example. So he prioritized you. Here's the second thing. He commits to pursue you. In relationships, this one is huge. Let's just pick on the men here, all right? Just because I am one and we can do this. When you were dating, you pursued hard, <laughs> You pursued your boo thing so hard, you did not want to lose her. You knew you had a gold mine, and you did not want to lose your girl. You pursued, you bought her things, you, 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 you learned to dance, you sang her songs, and you can't sing, you know? You spent money you didn't have. You, you, pursued, you went to places you would never go alone. You pursued her so hard. I mean, it's, it's almost Valentine's Day. When you were pursuing your wife, you would have already had Valentine's Day planned out by now. Like, you would have known where you're going to eat. You had the reservation. You had flowers coming. You had a babysitter set up. You had the whole thing. How are you doing now? <laughs> is it planned yet, or is this going to be a last-minute thing like it is always, right? Like, how are we doing? But now that you're married, and, and I see this so often, the fire's gone. The pursuit is off. I just got to warn you, you can't live on yesterday's fire because fire dwindles and eventually burns out. 
Stoke the fire, pursue your lady. And all the women said, come on. Amen. Amen. Did anybody get a nudge there? And I apologize if you did. Some of you are going to have like bruises after this message. All right. Okay, he did. So you can. He modeled this for us. God has been pursuing you your entire life. He's been pursuing you your entire life. Did you know that you didn't find God, that he found you? You weren't out looking for God. God has been pursuing you your entire life. He's been chasing after you, and then you finally responded. And then you probably fell away at one point in your relationship with Jesus. If you've been walking with him long enough, you probably have. You've messed up. And what did Jesus do? He didn't leave you. He stayed right there, and he continued to pursue you. He continued to chase after you. Why? Because he's committed to you regardless of what you do to him. I love this verse. Revelation 3.20 says this, look, I'm standing at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. I'm right here. I'm knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door. I'll come in, and we'll share a meal together as friends. Regardless of whether you answered the door or not, he's still there knocking in pursuit of you. God's not a, a bully. He's a gentleman. He's not going to bust down the door and say, I'm, I'm here. What are we doing? I'm going to take over your life. I'm going to control you. No, he, he stands at the door of your heart like a gentleman, knocking, waiting for you to open up. For so many, God's been standing at the door of your heart for a long time waiting for you to answer, waiting for you to let him in and allow him to actually take control of your life. I pray that today is the day that you finally let him in. Why does he do this? Because he's committed to us. Regardless if the pursuit is reciprocated or not, he's still in pursuit of you. Don't allow your spouse's lack of pursuit keep you from pursuing them. Pursue, because that's what God did. He did, so I can. He did, so I can commit to pursue. Here's the third one. He commits, this is going to sound a little weird, to possess you. I want to explain. Meaning this, he's committed to a sense of belonging towards you. He enjoys that you belong to him. He, he likes that. You're not a project to him that's gone terribly wrong. He's not looking to abort this at any point in time, regardless of what you've done or regardless of what you haven't done. He considers you his very own. He's committed to you till the very end, no matter what. And so often we just think, oh, I messed that one up. You know, I've messed up before in life and relationships left. I've really, I really messed this up with God and now he's probably gone too. That's, that's how you would be in relationships. That's not how God would be in relationships. He's committed to you. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, I know you've messed up, but listen, you're mine. You're chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. He chooses you today, church. He's committed to you today. This is what we are to do in relationships ourselves. So I say to my wife, Ali, I choose you. And because of that, I commit myself to you because I chose you. You are mine, I am yours. That, that is this, this, this idea of possession. As I was writing this message, I, I, at this point, I thought about my dad. 
And when I, was, when I was younger, I would get hurt doing something stupid, probably. And my dad would come to me and say, Jared, when you get hurt, I hurt. It's always stuck with me. When you get hurt, I get hurt. That actually, through my life, helped me to be a little bit more careful. I was his son. He gave, he, him and my mom gave birth to me. I, I, I was theirs. And I genuinely thought he feels my pain. When I'm hurting, he is hurting. And I didn't understand that until I was a parent, and all the parents understand that. When you see your kids hurting, you want to do whatever you can to help them in that moment. It's this, this idea of possession. You are mine. I'm with you. I'll do whatever it takes. He did. So I can commit to possess. Here's the fourth. Almost done. He commits to protect you. Here's what's funny. He commits to protect us even from ourselves. Yeah, I don't know if you notice this, but many of the storms that we find ourselves in life, we created them. <laughs> and yet God protects us still through the storms that we created for ourselves. And, and I look at the world we live in today and the attacks we all experience, all the attacks of the enemy. Thank God we have a protector. We're not doing this on our own. There's one that stands in the gap to protect us. Psalm 121.7 says, The Lord will protect you from all dangers. He will guard your life. I don't know if you've ever felt exposed before. One thing we actually talk about in groups and our life tribes is get in a group because we want to protect you. Because none of us like the feeling of being exposed. If it's raining outside, you want to get under a covering so you're protected. But to be exposed, you sit there and suffer. This is one of those areas in relationships that I've never understood. I've counseled with so many couples and I've heard so much stuff about couples. And this is one of those things I'll harp on for a second that I do not understand. The way of the world teaches us not to protect and cover our spouse, but instead to expose our spouse. And I, I see this in relationships so often that couples just expose their spouse to their friends. They choose not to cover them. They choose not protect, to protect them. Instead, they just gossip about them. Tell their friends all the dirty laundry about their spouse. This is the way that the world wants you to do relationships. There should never be locker room talk about your spouse. There should never be happy hour talk about your spouse ever. Let that be true not only about your relationships with your wife, but about all your relationships. Don't be the one who's the exposer that just exposes everybody. Be the protector. I'm, I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to protect the people that I'm closest to. He did. So I can commit to protect. He did. So I can. Here's the fifth and final one. He commits to purify you. We'll close with this. This is what the Lord says to you through this commitment. I'm going to purify you. I know at times you're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall. But this is the commitment I'm making to you. God says, I will not leave you in the midst of your failures. Instead, I'm going to give you a way out of them. 
while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He gave, he has every reason to leave us. But yet instead, in the midst of our sin towards him, he leaves in to you and says, I know, it's okay. I love you. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm gonna help you through this. Many of you maybe even feel this. You blew it this week. You blew it this week. And you're thinking, man, I, I can't come in here and worship. I can't approach God. I've, I've messed up this week. He knows what I did. He's mad at me. He's angry at me. Well, Micah 7 says that he delights. I want you to hear this. He delights in showing you mercy. Think about that. He delights in giving you a second and third and fourth chance. It's fun for him to be there when you need him the most. The picture the Lord gave me in this point, since I was writing this message, I got this picture. I just see Jesus on the sidelines of your baseball game. It's your, it's your game. You're playing baseball. Your team is down. Bases are loaded. Bottom of the ninth. You're up to bat with a full count. You. It's all riding on your shoulders. And you strike out. You blew it. You lost the game for your team. The game's over. And you walk out of there feeling so discouraged and upset. And I just see the coach coming over to you, putting his arm around you and saying, it's okay. We'll practice more. I'll help you through this. You're gonna be okay. I think about our life and how many times a moment like that happens and that's the moment we leave those people. You've messed up. You're out. You're dead to me. See you later. It's not what God would do. In the middle of your worst moment, on your worst day, God says, this is why I'm here. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm standing here. Others may leave you, but I'm not going anywhere. God loves you just as much on your worst day as he does on your best day. That is unconditional love. And I believe we are to look at our spouses and say the same thing. I don't want to be evil. On your worst day, I want to be there for you. I know you messed up. I know you said some things you probably regret. But I'm still standing. I'm right here. He did. So I can. Commit to purify. Commitment is such a non-committal word <laughs> in today. Commitment does not mean commitment, right? It's a word that is easily broken and doesn't hold any weight. That's why I like the word covenant better. But I'm asking that we commit to commitment. We commit to commitment. We commit to each other. We commit to our spouses. Because we have the greatest example of commitment the world has ever seen and that of Jesus. God wants to do a transforming work on the inside of you so that you can do things that you never dreamed you ever could do. Would you pray with me? I just want you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit what he's saying to you through this message. We believe that God is a God who speaks to us today right where you're at, just see what God would say to you. God, what do you want to say to me through this relationship series, through this message on commitment? God, what, what am I to learn? What am I to talk to take away? Just take a moment, see if he speaks to you.
close like I always do, right where you're at. I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts about relationships. May they not be this way that we see relationships the same way the world does, but Lord, may you just change our hearts in this moment. Help us to value relationships, value this level of commitment. May we be people of relationships. May we be people of commitment. Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts today. And now I just want to close and pray for those who I feel that the Lord is standing at the door of their heart and he's knocking. He's been there a long time. He's been pursuing you. He's been chasing after you. He made a commitment to put you first, to prioritize you. And he's standing there knocking. And some of us are fearful. We're fearful that, man, who am I? That a holy and loving and perfect God would want to come into my life. And some of us are fearful of what he'll do once he comes in and takes over. But I believe the Lord is standing at the door of your heart knocking. Will you let him in today? The Bible says we do that through prayer and confession. So I just want to lead you in a quick prayer right where you're at. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you up. And I'm just going to let this be a personal moment between you and the Lord. Right where you're at, if that's you today, if you want to let the Lord into your heart, into your life, just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, today I open the door of my heart to you. Would you come in? Would you take control of my life? Would you change me from the inside out? Thank you for dying on the cross in my place for my sins. And today I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior. I choose to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Quick clap and celebrate those who prayed that prayer. Amen.